In John chapter 4, Jesus describes the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verses 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now for the next few minutes, stay tuned to worship in spirit and truth with Pastor Jeff Scoggin. We've been building a picture of the end of time. Out of the clues that we have of just the, uh, the last two and a half chapters of Revelation. And there's a lot more that we can add in from the rest of Revelation and the rest of the Bible. But we've seen so far how the devil will orchestrate this massive deception at the end of time. That will delude many people into worshiping the wrong God. And I want to get into that some more someday. Um, about how when the Bible talks about how, if it were possible, this delusion could deceive even the very elect. And how, how realistic, how frighteningly true this is going to look. One of my professors um, once asked, as he was teaching a, a, a class on, on Revelation, he says, what, what will happen to your faith if you wake up one morning and see on CNN that there's been a massive car pileup on many of the different interstates and the people are just gone and their clothes are still there <laughs> and, the, and an airplane crashes because the people have just disappeared. What would that do to your faith? Do you know what you believe and do you know why you believe it? How realistic, how frighteningly true this last great deception is going to be it will cause us to question our faith. But I'll talk about that another time. We've seen some of what happens when Jesus returns at the second coming to rescue his faithful. We've seen how the, how the people of earth are judged <clears throat> and how the devil will rally his forces to try to take the holy city. And we spent some time looking at that city, how big it will be maybe as big as half of the size of the United States, a humongous city. It's made of gold so pure that it's like transparent glass. It shines brilliantly like a precious jewel. And its 12 gates are made out of a single pearl. The 12 foundations are made of precious stone. And my imagination, frankly, doesn't do a very good job visualizing what this city looks like. And that's where we left off last time was with that description. <clears throat> and I promised that before we'd look at some of the closing statements in Revelation, we'd spend a little bit more time looking at the city and what life there is going to be like. So if you would um, just turn in your Bibles to Revelation 21, beginning in, in verse 22, we'll just pick up where we left off. Remember, John is seeing the holy city in vision. And he's seeing what's going on here. And he says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the, the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God will give it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. Who are these kings of the earth, by the way? At this point where we left off, everyone has been destroyed. Who are the kings of the earth? 
the saved, the redeemed. 25, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Have you wondered about this before? There will be no night there. Does this mean that there's not going to be night on the entire earth at all? Not necessarily, right? God created day and night in the very beginning. Remember that? He created day and night and called it good. He created that in the very beginning. The new earth is going to be restored to God's original plan, right? There is no night in the city, though. Why? Because God is there. Those of you that have seen pictures of the Israelite, the layout of the Israelite camp out in the desert, have you seen that before? There's the sanctuary right in the middle. And the camp, the 12 tribes of Israel, are set up all the way around the camp, or around this, around the sanctuary. Three on the north, three on the south, three on the east, three on the right. like the holy city, the three gates. But every night, the priests would go in and they would light the lamps in the sanctuary. And those lamps were to remain burning all night. Why? Because their God never slumbers or sleeps. There is always light in the temple of God. What did we just read? There was no temple in the city because the Lamb, the Lord God Almighty, are its temple. There will not be any night in the city. But there will be night in the new earth. And we will be able, like the Israelites, in some manner of speaking anyway, to be able to look toward the city of God and always see that glow that is there. Maybe something like the northern lights or something. Who knows? Verse 25. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's going to be a perfect place. An absolutely perfect place. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Picture, make, build this picture in your mind, okay? The river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Sounds, sounds beautiful. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. You hear a problem with that? On each side of the river, two sides stood the one tree of life. I'm not quite sure how that works. I imagine that it's one tree with two trunks that, that meet in the middle. That's all I can figure out of how that works. There is one tree of life, and it stands on both sides of the river, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden... They were not allowed to remain in the garden because they were no longer allowed to have access to the tree of life because eating its fruit gave them immortality. And the earth made new, though, we will once again have access to the tree of life. Now, I've tried to imagine what kind of fruit is going to be on that tree. Ever wonder about that? There's going to be at least 12 different kinds of fruit, a different kind every month. What it doesn't say is whether that, those same 12 kinds of fruit are going to recycle or whether there's going to be an entirely new set every year. I don't know. 
what kind of fruit is there going to be? And the ver verse 2 of uh, chapter 22, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Which nations need healing? Remember, everybody's dead at this point, right? We're in a place where there's not going to be any longer any tears or pain or sorrow or death. Which nations need healing? The redeemed will need healing. We will have gone through the most horrific experience imaginable in the universe. We will have seen evil at its very, very worst. Jesus came to earth and did the same thing, right? And he still bears what in his hands? The scars. We will come through this experience and we will always, to some degree, bear the scars of what we went through. But there is healing in the tree of life. Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. What is the curse, ladies? <laughs> Childbirth, right? But men, too. The way that we have to work is going to be a lot different. It was a lot different. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Are we going to have a tattoo? God. No. That is a symbol that He will have our highest loyalty and devotion. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Hear that? The redeemed will reign forever. Kings of the earth. The way Adam and Eve were created to rule in the very beginning. Do we have something to look forward to? Do we have hope for the future? What do you say in Minnesota here? You betcha. Yeah. Here the vision closes uh, a chapter of sorts, not, not a you know, cha biblical chapter, but kind of a chapter. And Jesus goes on into his closing remarks, which shed even more light on some of the earlier parts of the vision, which we'll see. Verse 6, the angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. God does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophet, the Bible tells us, right? He warns us beforehand. Behold, I am coming soon, said Jesus. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. God would not have said that if we could not understand the prophecy in this book. Would he have? No. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, and you ever wonder why he says both heard and seen? It's a very interesting study, which we're not going to get into today. But you'll notice that John, throughout the book of Revelation, multiple times says, I heard this, and then I saw this. I heard 144,000. I saw a multitude that could not be numbered. This kind of thing. Interesting. I am the one who heard and saw these things. I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets 
of, and of all who keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Worship God. This is the second time this scene has happened with John in the book of Revelation. And I think there's a good reason that John mentions it both times. The entire controversy between God and Satan is one of worship. Satan covets worship. The entire deception that the end time issues are going to revolve around is going to be worship. It's going to be worship. This is part of the reason that Seventh-day Adventists believe that the Bible points to the idea that Sabbath is going to be a central issue because it shows our loyalty to God in the way that we worship. Do we choose to worship the way God has said or do we change and go with the man who tried to change the times and the laws? Not just a single man, but man in general as a human race. Verse 10, Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy in the book, because the time is near. In the book of Daniel, Revelation's companion book, really, the angel commanded exactly the opposite. He told him, told Daniel, that the words of this book will be sealed up until the end of time. In other words, people were not intended to understand the visions of Daniel until the end of time. And sure enough, they weren't figured out until the, well into the 1800s. But Revelation was commanded exactly the opposite. Do not seal up the words of the prophecies of this book. Revelation had a meaning for John. It has had a meaning for everyone between John's time and our time and beyond. So we are intended to understand the book of Revelation. And I keep emphasizing that because I don't know how many times I have heard. Why study it? You can't understand it. It's a sealed book. Interesting when it says exactly the opposite. But Jesus' closing remarks continue. Verse 11. And this is actually a cast back to the close of probation. Earlier parts of the vision. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to be right, do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. And this fits with the next part too, the, the close of probation, because it's, this is just before Jesus comes. Again, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. That's interesting, isn't it? How are we saved? By what we do? No. We're saved by grace, but we are judged by what we have done. I'm going to do a sermon on that later. It's a good question, right? How can we be saved by faith and be judged by what we've done? But there's a fascinating answer to it. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, those who accept the righteousness of Christ on their behalf, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Any idea, any idea why God or why Jesus would have said that outside are the dogs? Maybe he likes cats better? 
No. Why would Jesus have said, outside are the dogs? Something that John does more than 2,000 times in the book of Revelation is a word called allusion. You know what that word means? Let me give you an example. If I say something along the lines of, outside are the people with hair that reach all the way to the bottom of the tower, all of a sudden everybody can say, Rapunzel, right? That is, that's called an illusion. The mention of a single word can invoke an entire story. It can do that when, you're, when you share the history that you do. And this is what John is doing here. He does, does over 2,000 times. He refers back to the Old Testament. What is a story in the Old Testament that this might remind you of? Outside are the dogs. Who can you think of? Right. Who can you think of that was thrown to the dogs? Jezebel. And, and this is not the only time that John refers to Jezebel. In fact, he uses her by name, or Jesus does anyway, in the very par first part of it. He, he refers to this story a number of times throughout. To really understand Revelation, you've got to know your Old Testament. So, but anyway, this is the second list that repeats in the same context a list of, of sins that are particularly grievous to God. If I were compiling a list of particularly evil sins, I suppose that most of these would make the list. I mean, I can understand the evil in practicing magic arts. Even the innocent ones, you know, the tarot cards or whatever, even the innocent ones do get dangerously close to the occult. I can understand why God would think that was evil. I can understand sexual immorality because it cuts deeply at the family level and also at the relationship between God and his people, which he often describes in the context of a husband and wife. The world suffers terribly from this sin alone. I would be surprised if there's anyone here that has not in some manner, shape, or form been affected by this evil sin. And I can understand why murder makes the list. I mean, that one seems obvious to me. I can understand also why idolatry makes the list. I can understand that one. It's the silent killer of spirituality, and it is a practice that we are all involved in. Idolatry is simply allowing something that is not God to be more important in your life than God. That's, that's idolatry. But the last one on this list... <laughs> strikes me as less evil than some. Now, I understand sin is sin, and even the smallest one is to be paid for in death. That I understand. But of all the horrific sins God could have chosen to put on this list, I find it interesting that he includes lying. Twice in this context, and several more times in other contexts, God singles out liars as those who love and practice falsehood, he says here, as having no part in the new kingdom. Why, when he could have chosen child abuse, did he choose lying? Why, when he could have chosen, I don't know, stealing? I guess he did in the other list. He mentions thieves. But why did he choose lying? You know, I suppose it does have something to do with the kind of lying that my four-year-old understands, you know, simply telling something that's not true. But it seems to me that to make this list, there's got to be a lot more to it than that. 
Could it have something to do with the fact that so many people have fallen to Satan's lies? He's called the father of lies. Could it have something to do with the fact that it's a great end-time deception that tears so many people away from God? The great lie? Could it be that? Could it have something to do with the fact that God is interested in people who are genuine? We all wear masks from time to time, don't we? And what is a mask? It's a lie. It's a lie. We may act one way toward one person in a totally different way toward another person. We may look nice on the outside but not be nice on the inside. We have selfish reasons for being good, a lot of us. All of us. Could it be that when the outside of the cup looks cleaner than the inside, God considers it a lie? Well, sure. Those are the words Jesus used. Well, frankly, it's probably all of the above plus some. And it's all something to keep in mind. God wants people who are honest, genuine, in every, every way. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. That's us. We're hearing these words, and we are to invite people to come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Friends, you need to ask yourself, do you honestly hunger and thirst for righteousness? Why do you think he used those words? Hunger and thirst. Are you driven to Christ-likeness as strongly as you are driven to life's basic necessities? Food and water. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. I have wondered about that statement. Have you? I mean, can you see me sitting down at my computer and typing out some additions to the book of Revelation and inserting it in my Bible? I wouldn't get away with that, right? You would recognize it right off, but that's not part of it. Somehow, I don't think that that couldn't be what God had in mind. Uh, you know, it might be part of it that some scribe could have done a long time ago and we would accept today, but somehow I think it must be a little bit more than that. I wonder, and I don't know, but I wonder if it doesn't have something to do with how we interpret it. Making the book of Revelation say something that it was never intended to say. If that's true, then I, I want to be very humble and very cautious about saying... This is what it means. Verse 19, if anyone, this is the opposite. If anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. Again, how could somebody take something away? Take scissors to your Bible? Probably not. Could we do it by saying something like, no one can understand Revelation, so why try? Maybe. Maybe. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. 
Come, Lord Jesus. Those of you who heard the first in this series, do you remember that there were two great suppers of God? Remember that? Every one of us, everyone in the world is invited to one of two great suppers of God. The redeemed to eat the wedding supper of the Lamb, the wicked to be eaten by the birds. We remember that in the first part of this series, the great day of God's wrath. I, for one, want to be at the wedding. And I have been told as one who hears the words of the prophecy of this book that I am to add my voice to that of the bride and invite you to come. And so I'm extending that invitation to you today to come. Are you thirsty for the good news that Jesus shed his blood so that you can live? Are you hungry for the good news that Jesus gave his body to die so that you didn't have to? Do you, like all the rest of us, have to admit that by all rights you should not be among those who have the right to the tree of life? None of us do. But we have seen that we can overcome by claiming the blood of Jesus Christ that he poured out for you. We have been offered the white robes of Christ's righteousness. That is the symbol for it. We have been offered his goodness. It is his purity, not our own, that makes us able to overcome and gives us the right to go through the gates of the holy city. That's grace. And that robe is free for the taking. All you have to do is come. All you have to do is come. Will you come? Will you come to Jesus and let him give you that robe? If you will, stand with me while I pray, and pray with me in your heart. Our Father in heaven, you did one of the most incredible acts imaginable when you sent your son Jesus to come down here and suffer the penalty that we deserved. And you did this because you loved us. And you have given us every opportunity possible to accept that and to come running to let you do in us what you have wanted to do all along. So Lord, we have heard the invitation today to come, to be a part of that wedding supper of the Lamb. And you know every heart here, everyone who genuinely wants to be there, enough that we are willing to give up our idolatry willing to give up anything that is more important to you and be fully committed disciples of yours. But Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We are weak. But thankfully, you have promised that you've got that covered as well and that you will do the good work that needs to be done in us. And so Lord, we claim that promise today. We rest in the faith that you're going to do it. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining Pastor Jeff Scoggins today for Worship in Spirit and Truth. We would love to hear your thoughts about the program and your financial support is also greatly appreciated so that we can continue bringing you these kinds of programs. Tell your friends they can find the program Spirit and Truth right here on this station. Stay tuned for contact information and more details from your local station to follow. Until next time, keep your mind fixed on Jesus. This is Pastor Jeff Scoggins. Thank you for listening to Spirit and Truth. Often listeners contact me or the station wanting to know how to get a copy of a specific program or more information. All of these programs are archived as podcasts and many of them are on video as well. You can find relevant links at my website, www.scoggins.biz. You will also find books and Bible study resources there as well. So if you didn't get to hear one of these programs all the way through or missed one in a series, you can find it by visiting scoggins.biz. That's S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S dot B-I-Z.